Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So if you like, in the beginning of a practice period, um, you can also take a moment just to appreciate the fact that we have the opportunity to be here. It's considered very unusual and positive circumstances to have the time and interest and access to teachings about dharma and meditation and and also that you yourself are interested in that and that you've shown up again. So you can give yourself an inner pat on the head or smile at yourself a little bit in appreciation for your efforts. And there's something that is uh, done in um, more Buddhist uh, monasteries, Buddhist practice, that is called taking refuge. For some people, it might be meaningful if you've been uh, connected to this tradition or practice uh, before. And in some ways, this is uh, taking a moment to connect your intentionality with the practice and even your aspiration with something larger than like me and my meditation. So taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. The first one, if you have some relationship with the Buddha's teacher or reading teachings or something, it can be directly that. But also, but there's actually a word for the awakened mind and heart. So it could also be seen as uh, taking refuge in the possibility of this awakening that all of us have the possibility of developing wisdom and love, clarity of mind. So it can help to remember that as a definite possibility for all of us, this awakening. This Dhamma or Dharma is a natural law, kind of taking refuge in the truth of the way things are. Some people have different words for that or sense of something larger than oneself and one's circumstance or efforts. So whatever that means to you, uh, if it's helpful, you could recall that. And then this idea of the Sangha is uh, about the lineage of people over 2,600 years, the community of practitioners and particularly that the ability to practice and to understand and to realize the teachings uh, is something that has happened and has been passed on through different cultures and over different continents and time uh, for centuries now. So for those for whom that has meaning, Sometimes it's helpful in the beginning of the period to do some version of taking refuge that's meaningful for you, but 
also certainly not uh, obligatory. And then the part I mentioned earlier about uh, giving yourself the instruction. So giving yourself whatever instruction is helpful for you about trying to uh, collect the attention, trying to be present with what it's like in this body, in this heart, in this mind. The habit of the mind is usually to think about things. So in some ways we're uh, engaging in a renunciation if we are trying to practice mindfulness to observe the experience of the body. And in this case, as we've said, to not stop thinking, but to have different relationship to thinking. So to have an aspiration to know that we're thinking, to be able to observe the process of thinking as it happens in the same way that we can hear a sound and know that we're hearing a sound. So I mentioned that there's basically three different things that are happening if you're attending to your experience through the sense doors. So experiences of the body, that includes breathing, any other physical sensations you experience. Experiences of hearing and experiences of the mind. So you can be interested in just knowing which of these is happening right now. Is there an experience of the body? So can I really know that in a close way? Is there an experience of hearing? And if there's an experience of the mind, I can also know what that is, that that is happening. can help if there is an experience of mind happening to label this with thinking or planning or remembering, kind of the sub-genre of mind activity that's there. So you can notice then in some way what are the common habit patterns of the mind? What does it get up to? most frequently. Our mental activity, we're usually very identified with and feel like it's very uh, unique and important. As we start to observe it, sometimes you can see that there are just very habitual way that mental energy flows. 
worrying about blank, planning blank. That's almost as if there are these kind of riverbeds in the mind that energy suddenly bubbles up into. The the current of energy flows through some habitual channels. So we don't need to judge ourselves for this, but just be interested, what what might be the top five channels of mental energy that show up, that flow through very strongly? How well do I know this mind, how it works, what it's up to, the habits? We might know other people's minds uh, even better. Your best friend or your partner or brothers and sisters, parents, you might think, oh yeah, I could tell you what the top five things are they're likely to say or think. It's very easy to know that. But do we even know that about ourselves, what comes up most frequently? And seeing what's helpful, unhelpful. Some of the patterns are kind and generous, loving. Some might be driven by anxiety or jealousy, worry. So just being interested in this field of the mind as well. Because the field of the mind and thinking is very quick, it can help to ground the attention with the body, with the breath. But then just notice what happens when it happens so quickly that we're thinking about something. (coughs) can observe in some ways the mind's movement as if you're observing an animal too. Like if you're watching squirrel outside and you're curious, like where it goes for food or where it stores things or where it sleeps, if it has friends. So you'd learn by just watching. (coughs) So here we can also be interested in watching our mind. So this uh, period of sitting, the first one after lunch, is also often due to conditionality of human beings, a sleepy one for many people. So if this is the case, you can uh, remember that it's okay to open your eyes or to stand up and practice in that position. It can be, in fact, a skillful thing to do.
so you can smile at yourself in appreciation as we start our period together. Notice your aliveness, feel your body. And then just be curious how things unfold. You can feel the body breathing wherever it's easiest to notice that. But also whatever else you notice about the body, the temperature, any sense of movement, of energy. Begin, it can help to relax the jaw a little bit, relax the eyes. You can notice if you have observed a thought, thinking, planning, remembering before you let it go and return to connection with the body, breath, if you're choosing to do that. Check in to see if there's some tension that has re-arisen in the face and the jaw, the shoulders, and just try to relax again a little bit. So in which the movements of the mind create tension frequently.
if you want to try standing practice, we can try that together. Either if you're sleepy or you just want to try it out for a little bit. You can shift, and as you shift, notice what it feels like to shift. So stay connected to the body. If you like to stay sitting, you can also stay sitting. And you can see how it feels if you want to keep your eyes closed or keep them gazing downwards. So what's it like in the body now? You can notice directly with your awareness. What does it feel like to be breathing and standing?
So you can be curious if you're standing. There's a different experience of the physical body than while sitting. Is there also a different experience of the mind in some way? Is there more energy there? Are there different rivers of thoughts that seem to be showing up? Or less or more? Does the breath feel different as you're standing? And remain standing for as long as you like. But if you feel like returning to sitting posture, you can also do that. If you do, also just stay connected with the body as you shift back to sitting. Notice how it is again in a different posture.
there's a part of the body that's hurting or itching, you can bring this into the practice too. Before you move or habitually itch, just see if you can bring your attention to that area to notice what it's actually like. What's the direct sensations of that experience? Beyond the thought of my foot hurts or my cheek itches. Go beyond concept of this practice. What's it like to be alive in this moment, regardless of what's happening?
on the last part of our practice together. Noticing what's happening right now. What's the experience of the body? Is there any experience of the mind? Noticing that awareness moves between these fields on its own. Unscripted. Sounds, thoughts, and body sensations. So shortly you'll hear the sound of the bell to mark the end of our formal practice. You can just allow the sound to arise within the field of hearing. And notice how it rings, begins, gets louder, fades away. You can see if you can connect with awareness to the entirety of the arising and passing of this sound. The attention wavers, that's okay. You can just gently bring it back, return to a sense of hearing. When it's completely faded away, then you can open your eyes, return to the group. Notice also with this instruction if there's any leaning of the mind to get the ringing, to get the bell. And how this doesn't actually make the bell ring anymore. So if you can just shift back to a balanced, steady stance.
So this um, bow that we do at the end of the practice is also an optional part of the uh, activity. It's uh, part of the tradition as a kind of appreciation for each other for sitting together and a recognition of all of our uh, potential for awakening. So if you'd like to do that at the end, you can, but um, you also don't have to. So you might have noticed that the, there's some groups that have been posted, uh, small groups posted for um, meetings uh, with us, some this afternoon um, at 4.45, and the rest will be on Sunday. So that's an uh, optional opportunity to check in or ask any questions that you have. Um, you don't need to plan for it or anything like that. But we thought we'd also offer a chance uh, right now in the hall for a short time uh, for people who have questions. Uh, if you can, you can raise your hand. We'll see if we can help you out about questions about the instructions or anything that's happened in your experience. And maybe we'll see if you're in the quarter of people who have a group this afternoon. Maybe you can hold your question for your group. Uh, but the other three quarter of you. Yeah, so a question about um, being with pain, uh, physical pain, and then uh, specifically this period, she said she was with uh, physical pain for uh, 45 minutes for most of the period, um, but didn't feel herself soft and open with it, like not liking it, um, and realizing that this also relates to emotional pain as well, too. Yeah, this is a good to even just notice that, you know, that we have these experiences of the body that's um, difficult, that's unpleasant, and then the habitual response is usually contraction um, or trying to push it away or actually um, hating it. Right? And in some ways, this is the um, best strategy of the unawakened mind, you could say, to deal with um, the play of experience is like, oh, something difficult happens. I try to push it away, contract, hate it, try to get away from it. And then if something that I like happens, then I try to grab it, lean into it, uh, keep it. But as we pay attention to experience, you can see everything, even within like pain, is there's some variations within it, right? Uh, So it's basically not a winning strategy. Like contracting around it didn't make it go away. And in fact, with pain it often makes it worse because the contraction tightens up around that area. So you basically do your best with it. So noticing it and doing your best to be curious about it, investigate it, uh, to be with that area with as much much awareness of the direct experience of it as you can. And then if you notice yourself really tightening around it, like it's difficult to be with that in that way, uh, you can notice what that's like too, right? 
So notice the reaction on top of that and how that's actually different than the pain. You know, that reaction of the mind is actually uh, related to, but not the same as the pain. Like it's not an obligation that has to be there. So a lot of the practice is actually feeling the difficulty or unpleasantness or dukkha of uh, these habitual reactions that are unhelpful. Um, that's kind of part of the like bad news part of <laughs> But it's, I think it's really helpful because why do we engage in these kinds of responses that are not that helpful is because we don't recognize that they're not. You know, we're not, we haven't paid attention enough to feel the way in which it's uh, is not helpful, right? So I would say to, to notice the pain then of that contraction response too. Uh, and be with that, with that also if you can in some interested way, right? And then if it all gets too much, um, you can move, right? Like move the body in some way that brings some relief. And as you do that, notice what it feels like in the body with the relief, but also notice what it feels like in the mind, right? Sometimes it can help to be with something a little bit more to sort of toggle between the breath, if the breath is not painful, and then feel into a little bit the painful area, you know, and then come back to the breath. So don't go completely into something that's really intense for the whole period, but um, kind of keep it in the background and then feel the breath, tap into it a little, feel the breath. So there's also being um, curious and kind of specific ways about it can help uh, to open it up a little bit. Like, okay, where's the center of this? You know, what's it like on the outskirts? Where do I notice any change with this experience of the pain? Um, what are the thoughts about the pain versus the direct physical experience of it? What's the temperature of it? Uh, is there any motion? Anything like that, you know? So there's a, a way in which through this practice we can sometimes get some glimmer of, of the possibility that there could be physical pain. Uh, it could be unpleasant. It wouldn't be something that you would like gift to someone that you love, right? Um, but there's actually can be a fundamental like okayness about it, if it's minus that reaction of needing to push it away. Yeah. And then actually the same thing could be with the emotional uh, pain too. Right? So the aspect of it that is most difficult often is around um, a contraction of a belief that this is me. Right, or this is mine, or this is permanent. And these are all like misperceptions that we have frequently about our experience that causes us a lot of difficulty. Pascal can also add if he likes. Yeah, so she says she noticed when she inhales, exhales, uh, breathing deeply, it helps to concentrate. Um, but then she read somewhere else, and we also seem to be saying that uh, it's better to like just breathe naturally. Right? Yeah, I'd say in the beginning of the period, if it helps to take a few deep breaths, both to connect with the body and to um, sort of relax or anything like that, then that's okay to do that. But yeah, then after that, usually in this tradition, we recommend to breathe um, naturally. Part of this is to um, 
you know, what we're, what we're discovering is something about how the mind works, how the body works. So uh, it can seem frustrating when the mind is going to thinking about this and that, but uh, even with that, there's something that's revealed, which is that we're not in control of our thoughts. We think we are, but we're not. Right? So the, the aspect of using breathing to control that um, can sometimes give a sense of like, oh yeah, no, there is a puppet master. Like I'm in charge and I'm running things and, you know, stuff like that. So um, what I was alluding to with this other question also is that there are these different, um, you could say like characteristics of uh, experience that are like universal characteristics that we're tuning into. And um, one of these is uh, is called dukkha. It's like about... Uh, strain, stress, unsatisfactoriness, even suffering sometimes you could say, um, which is because things are not in our control, because they're actually changing all the time, but we're not the puppet masters of that. So uh, it's not what you might expect, like that this is uh, like, oh great, you're noticing unsatisfactoriness, that's a really good thing, but... Uh, it's considered a good thing to notice the ways in which the mind is not actually under your control all the time. Um, And there's something stressful about trying to control a lot too, you know. Like, you could notice there's something stressful about wanting experience to be exactly one way and then trying to make it so. And whether that's controlling sounds around you or controlling uh, what thoughts arise or uh, controlling sounds that come from the people around you or, you know... uh, so we're learning, like, oh yeah, that, what is it that's the cause of this difficulty or stress or suffering? And um, a lot of it comes from our misperception about uh, what we can do or what's under our control. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm wondering Uh, question is, uh, how do you feel about using music when you meditate? Uh, you know, there are many different kinds of meditation um, and uh, many different techniques and varieties and so on. Uh, I'd say while, while you're here, I like to let go of the music for meditation, uh, except for the music of people sniffling and snuffling around you and the birds and airplanes and sound of the bell and things like that. Uh, and it's partly similar to the answer that uh, I, give, I give to the previous question about um, like not necessarily wanting to concoct a pleasant experience for us to have or to create concentration um, using the music in that way, um, but actually training ourselves to see what's true about experience as it plays out. Right? Now you find if you let go of music, sort of a renunciation of music for this period, then when you do go back to it, um, you know, on Monday, most times people report like having the most vivid experience they've had of being able to pay attention to and listen to music uh, after that. Right? But uh, particularly want to give you some techniques that will be kind of portable in your life so that you're able to be present with anything you know, and cultivate this awareness uh, in a way that will, will be applicable no matter what's happening. Right. Just maybe to add a little word, I completely agree with uh, Anushka. And 
um, my sense is what uh, the technique we're offering here involves at the beginning a little bit more chaos because we're not giving us like ourselves a tool like okay let's do a mantra let's uh, follow the music let's follow a breath that is very controlled that would be very reassuring and it would give us something to hold on to and here we're saying like hey life is happening so at the beginning it might be a little bit more at the beginning and <laughs> again and again it might be a little bit more kind of seem chaotic and I'm a little lost, there's so many things happening and the mind takes over. But I think that uh, in time it uh, will allow us to be in different situations and so we won't require music or require like, you know, I'm in a situation and to actually be present I need to have a strong breath, you know. We'll, uh, we'll have our awareness match, uh, be able to discover what's happening, intense or subtle or, you know, vague or clear. And uh, so uh, we'll have access to a, a kind of a freedom that doesn't require uh, anything in particular. But it means that at the beginning we might feel a little bit more loss and that's not that satisfying. But it's, it, it'll become clear at, uh, on the way at some point, like, oh yeah, these thoughts moving through. I don't need to stop them, I need to be aware of them, you know. And oh, the mind is sharp, and then whoops, it's a little foggy, and it's sharp again. So, it's a bit of it, maybe an act of faith, you know, so we don't go straight to what we know works, or trying something else. Maybe we should stop for now. <laughs> but we'll have other times also for the questions. And uh, I'd say one more kind of broad thing about the context that hopefully will be um, helpful. You know, in some ways, this whole practice is oriented around like the Dharma is about what's true about life. And it's, it's kind of like equipping us to deal with life in a better way. So if you think about your life, it's always these different things are happening, some of which you like and some of which you don't like. And this has to do with your health, or your job, or your family, or the weather, or you know, if you're traveling, all kinds of things can happen, or your family, your kids, uh, you know, every which thing. Is, and our usual go-to is like, let's go to the thing that will make us feel good, or you know, create a pleasant, positive experience for ourselves. But um, the trouble is that all these things are not in our control, right? Like. We can't control the weather, we can't control the family, we can't control so many things in our career and travel and our health, everything, you know. Uh, so in some ways this this is uh, supposed to be inspiring, like why should you practice with slightly uncomfortable things, like why should you sit with pain or not do something that would make you feel better immediately. Um, the exploration of this, the idea is, will allow us to... Uh, develop some wisdom that helps us to relate to our life better overall, too. Right? So, uh, there's small ways we can learn this all the time, and then kind of like big ways that can actually be incredibly life-changing. Uh, so this includes even with the walking practice. You, know, you can notice as you're doing walking, like, where is it that I tend to lose attention? And usually we might pay attention if it really is nice or pleasant, but if it seems slightly boring, we'll space out. You know. 
Or notice when you're walking, for example, what happens in the turning point, at the end point. Sometimes we'll pay attention on this part, but then when we get to the moment of transition or turn, we can't pay attention. And that also can be something that you find in your life, like a moment of transition or shift is difficult for me to have to check out. So it's like a training of uh, cultivating an ability to be present, which then will serve you yourself and allow you to also be present with other people when they're going through all kinds of things as well. So thank you.